you know, most all uh, children's literature, uh, you know, whether it's Three Little Pigs or Cinderella, it has the same ending. And they lived happily ever after. You know, I believe that we have a yearning in our lives, a desire to do the same thing. In fact, I would argue that God's literature, the Bible, it sort of ends the same way. In essence, it says, as Christians, you live happily ever after. Maybe not in this life, maybe not in this world. It is far from perfect. But ultimately, we live happily ever after. You know, I believe it's impossible to live happily ever after unless you're ever ready, unless you're ready for the end. You know, unless you have have put yourself in that position. You know, every moment of every day, every tick of the clock brings us closer to the climax of human history. And Scripture boldly states that Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus is going to take his followers to heaven, to the promised land. In fact, we know that last day that millions of conversations will end mid-sentence. A husband will turn to embrace his wife and she will be gone. You know, a young mom will reach in the, the crib to cradle that newborn and it'll just be warm sheets. You know, a pilot will turn to have a conversation with a co-pilot, and all they will see is an empty leather chair. And what I have just described to you is a day that's coming known as the rapture. You know, the word rapture isn't found in the Bible, but it's a word that theologians kind of coined to define that instantaneous act of God where the followers of Jesus Christ are snatched. That's literal word that's used in the Greek. They are snatched from this planet and they find themselves in eternity. You know, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, he says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of the call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. That's that snatched part. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. You know, every time I have talked on the topic of the second coming of Jesus Christ, it raises a lot of questions. Uh, I see a lot of eyebrow raising if I get in conversations with someone about it. And I know there are doubts that people have that kind of surface. And we have a lot of questions like, you know, what's going to happen to me? You know, what's going to happen to my loved one? You know, how's this whole deal going to play out? We have lots of questions on this topic. And I know it's a challenging topic. And I know that some of you right now, you're skeptical, and that's okay. And I know some of you are thinking right now, oh, come on, Damon, second coming? You know, I mean, a rapture, being snatched up from this planet and taken to the promised land? Give me a massive break. Sounds like something from Hollywood. Some of you are thinking, make a good, like, sci-fi movie. But I have a hard time accepting it. It's just not very rational, not very analytic. And here's the truth. Whether you believe it or not, 
Every time you encounter God's word, every time you, you get into to God's word and begin to think about it, there should be a lot of questions. You should find it challenging. This topic is challenging. But what I have found is the Bible is always reliable and always true. And so looking at the end should raise questions. Looking at the end should challenge you. And looking at the end should change how we live our lives. It's almost like reading a suspenseful novel. And uh, how many of you have ever been reading and the novel takes like an unexpected turn on you? And inside you kind of freak out because you were hoping it was going to go one way and you get a little, little freaked out about it. And so you turn to the last few pages, maybe of the chapter or maybe the end of the book, because you've got to find out. You know, how many of you do that? All right. How many of you won't admit that you do that? You know. But you do, and you go, oh, good, good, they fell in love. Oh, good, they, they, they got through the problem. They lived happily ever after. I think that is why God gives us a few details about what's going to happen those final days in order to give us some comfort, to give us hope for our lives. So we'll know the bottom line, so we know how it ends. So we know that we have the victory as Christians that we're on the winning team. I was looking at some polls that were taken not too long ago. They said 62% of Americans believe in a literal second coming of Jesus Christ. 62%. What I find interesting is they did a poll shortly after that, and they found out that 40% of Americans say that they are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, you get the numbers there? 62% believe in the second coming, but only 40% say they're followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, 22% of the people you rub shoulders with believe that the second coming is going to happen, but they are not prepared for it. They are not ready for it. You know, one day Jesus was teaching on the topic of the second coming, Jesus just has a way of just masterfully delivering a, a message. And, and when you read the story, he uses an illustration that I think everyone could identify with in that day. He says, be dressed, ready for service, and have your lamps shining. Be like the servant that are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding party. When he comes home and knocks, the servants immediately open the door for him They will be blessed when their master comes home because he sees that they are watching for him. It says, I tell you the truth, the master will dress himself to serve and tell the servants to sit at the table and he will serve them. Those servants will be blessed when he comes in and finds that they're still waiting, even if it's midnight or or later. It says, remember this, if the owner of the house knew what time a thief was coming, he would not allow the thief to enter the house. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at a time when you don't expect him. Jesus, right up front, he told his listeners, he says, there are some things you can do to prepare yourself for my second coming. 
know, it's been a long time ago, but I, I remember seeing, seeing a car, and I, saw, I actually saw it on the internet, but uh, the, the car had two bumper stickers on it. It said, Jesus is coming again. And the second bumper sticker said, escape to Wisconsin. <laughs> that won't work. <laughs> now, we said, expect the unexpected. That's how I finished last week. How many of you, right now, we caught you a little off guard, huh? You're, you're going, we, we were thinking, okay, let's change things up, let's mix it up. And I'm, I've been watching, come in, and you're like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? He's preaching already, he's, he's talking, what, what's up with that? Some of you are doing this. Did I miss something? Expect the unexpected. It's okay if you were late today. But friends, when it comes to the end, you better be ready. Jesus says that there are things that we can do to prepare ourselves for the second coming, to prepare ourselves for for that rapture. One of the things he tells us is that we need to dress up for that day. He says, be dressed ready for service. Some versions of the Bible say to be dressed in readiness. You know, in other words, we need to be dressed for the occasion. We live in America, land of malls and and fashion, and we're very conscious about the clothes we wear, aren't we? I mean, they make statements. And uh, a dad asked his teenage daughter, he said, Honey, now that you're driving and everything, do you know what to do in case of an emergency? And she's like... Sure, I need to make sure my clothes match in case I get on TV, you know. <laughs> and we, th- we think like that a little bit. We spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money on wardrobes. When I go shopping, I'll try on 50 shirts before I get one. You know, it's like, nah, don't like that. No, nah, too hot, too long, what- whatever. Too tight usually is the thing that I run into these days, but... <laughs> I was in a dressing room one time, it was a couple of years ago, and uh, I uh, was trying on stuff, and I look, and there, there's a sticker on the mirror, and it said, objects in the mirror may appear bigger than they actually are. <laughs> Jesus challenges us to make a fashion statement. No, you can't go to Macy's or Old Navy or The Gap This is an attitude, it is a lifestyle that we are called to as Christians, that we are to put on a robe of readiness in our lives. We're to spend time getting ready, and and we do that in life, don't we? Like if you're getting ready for a trip, you, you pack. You know, you're getting ready to have company, you clean the house, or or you're preparing food. Uh, teenagers, college age, kids... If you've got a test, what do you do to prepare? Study. (laughs) The second coming, Jesus says, we prepare by dressing. And Jesus said, you know, you have to get ready. He talks about the, the wedding of this wealthy homeowner, that he had a bunch of servants. And Jesus describes this guy going to a wedding feast. And one of the things you need to remember in Jewish culture, 
a wedding feast could last like seven days. And the head servant who's at the the master's home, he gets all the servants together. He says, we've got to be ready. We've got to be dressed. We've got to be ready for the master's return. They're not sure when, but they're ready. The Bible says that we're, we're to gird our loins. Paul uses that term over and over. It was talking about a time when men wore robes and they would take and pull up the bottom part of the robe and they'd tuck it into their belt so that they were ready to work. The only thing I could compare it to in our society, we talk about rolling up our sleeves. You know, we're going to get in there. We're going we're to work. We're going to do what needs to be done. They're getting ready because they do not know when the master's going to come back, when he's going to return. And my question to you is, are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Because here's what I believe. If Jesus Christ was to come back right now, some of us would be raptured. Some of us would be snatched up and taken to heaven. And I believe, sadly some of us would be left behind because we're, we're not dressed. We're, we're not ready. A few years ago, I was in Barnes & Noble. I'll never forget it. And I, I have a lot of moments like, like this. But I, I was sitting in Barnes & Noble, big glass of Starbucks, doing some research. And I was researching the end times. And there was a guy at the table next to me. And I think he was kind of looking at all the books I had. And I had my Bible out on there. And so finally, he kind of leans over and he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, enjoying my Starbucks. And uh, he's like, no, what are you studying? And and so real quickly, he said, I don't believe in God. But he was interested in what I was doing. And he asked a lot of questions. I mean, a lot of questions. And I finally came to a point... And ask him, I said, well, what's your worldview? What do you consider yourself? I mean, are you an atheist or an agnostic? Or are you a skeptic? Or, or are you kind of searching and seeking? And he admitted he was open. And because of our conversation, he, he seemed very uh, analytic in, in his style. And I said, you ought to read Mere Christianity. And actually went over and found the book for him and brought, brought it back. But C.S. Lewis, because he wasn't sure about God. And it's a great read if you're not sure about God or if you want to kind of strengthen your faith. But it's a hard read. But I'll never forget that because I was sitting there and I'm thinking, as I'm studying the end times, I'm ready. But a guy that's three or four feet from me was not ready. How many of you would consider doing life in the nude? Any takers? Come on. I mean, can you imagine that? Do life naked. I'm going to the office naked. I'm going to the golf course naked. I'm going to the health club naked. That happens sometimes. But uh, I'm going to the mall naked. I just don't like clothes. And you're going, that has got to be the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And I, I was thinking about that, and I thought, it would change one thing. If, if you had a really bad golf game, it's a new excuse. 
I shot 105. I was naked. Oh, okay. You know. But that line of thinking is crazy. Yet we all rub shoulders with people every day that are spiritually naked. They don't have clothes on. They are not ready. They're not ready for the second coming. You know, Matthew 25, Jesus uses another wedding illustration about the end times again. He says there were ten bridesmaids that were waiting. They were waiting to be a part of the wedding parade. And you got to remember that many times this would last for a week. And the groom would make his way from the bride's home, where they would get married, to their home. And after the ceremony, and it might be midnight or after, they'd have this big parade from the bride's home to the groom's home. You know, parents, can you imagine a week-long wedding? What kind of price tag that might have? The ten bridesmaids, they're waiting for this parade. I'm going to guess they were getting tired. I mean, they'd probably been at the salon all day, getting their hairs done, getting their nails done and everything. And Jesus said five of the bridesmaids were smart. They brought lamps and they brought oil with them. And then he said five of them were unwise. I think airheads is what he meant. but Because they brought lamps with them, but no oil. And they're all waiting. They're waiting for the parade. The ceremony lasts a really long time, probably a long-winded pastor. And... Finally, the parade starts. Five of the bridesmaids, I mean, I kind of picture them going, oh, girlfriend, it's starting. It's going to be great. This is so good. They were ready for the parade. They got to the groom's house, and they had a great time, and they had a great party, and they enjoyed themselves. But the five airheads go, "Uh uh-oh. We don't have oil. Think Quick Trip's still open? I mean, oil stores are closed. And so they go searching for oil. They finally get back to the groom's home. The door's locked. They're yelling at the door, let us in, let us in. But the groom wouldn't open the door. And they missed out. Why? Because they weren't prepared. They weren't ready. You know, Matthew 13, it says, So watch out. You know, be ready. You do not know when the time will come. Are you ready? Are you prepared for the rapture? You know, not only do you need to be ready, you need light. Have you ever tried to get dressed in the dark? Anybody? I mean, you know... The fact is, it's difficult. I remember we had a power outage. Uh, It's been years ago, but we had a power outage, so I'm trying to get dressed in the dark. And in that day, I had this philosophy of why match your socks when you can hunt for them. And so they were all loose in my drawer. And so I get in there, and I'm trying, trying to see, but I can't really see anything. And I put them on and get to church and I sit down and I look down and they, they weren't even close. Now, I'm a little, that kind of stuff just drives me crazy. And so the, the whole morning I'm like, somebody's going to notice this. I, I'm such an idiot and everything. Jesus knew 
that you need light. You need light in your life. In fact, he says that we're to light it up as Christians. He says, be dressed, ready for service, and have your lamps, what? Shining. You know, back then they had a, uh, it was kind of like a little boat, so to speak. And they would fill it with oil. They'd put a cotton wick in there. And they would keep that filled with oil, and they would cut and trim the wick. Because if they didn't, it would go out. The house would be dark without it. The chief servant gathers the other servants together and he says, light up. Now, he wasn't talking about cigarettes here. He's talking about keeping their lamps going because they didn't know when the master was going to come back and they wanted to make sure that it was lit up. Jesus calls us as Christians to be lights, to be a lamp that's shining. You know, I am to be dressed and ready. I'm also to light it up. Jesus Christ is a reflection and should be of everything that I say and do. You know, the word oil in scriptures is used to describe the Holy Spirit. And I know that once Jesus Christ kind of infiltrates your your heart and, and your life, it changes everything. In fact, God places the Holy Spirit in our life So that the oil of the Holy Spirit will light us up. I mean, it should. Every conversation, every interchange, every activity in your life, everything that I'm about should be a reflection of Jesus Christ in my life. When Jesus Christ comes back, he is going to look at your life, he's going to look at my life, and he's going to see if we were lighting things up. You know, if people were drawn to the, to the light. I had a conversation, it's been a while back, but I was playing ball. And uh, it just reminds me, every time I get in a situation like that, of how people are drawn to light. Because I'm talking to this guy, he has no idea that I'm a pastor. And I'll be honest, I love talking to people before they figure out what I do. And so he begins telling me about his life and begins telling me about some of the problems in his life. And then he kind of shifted gears and he started talking about some of his sexual exploits in a little, little more colorful language than I would care for. But at some point I just said, can I, can I ask you something? Where does God fit in all this? He thought for a moment. He said, well, I've been to church a few times. Don't like church. Don't understand church. And then he asked me, he goes, do you go to church? I said, yeah. He goes, every Sunday? I go, yeah, I go every Sunday. And then it was funny because he goes, does your wife make you? (laughs) Some Sundays. (laughs) And then he asked me, he goes, why do you go every Sunday? I was kind of had at that point. I said, well, here we go. I'm the pastor of the church. And this is the part I, I, I wish I could tell you I don't enjoy, but I do. Because he immediately is rewinding. 
ended up having a really great conversation in several weeks following. Had good conversations. As Christians, we are to light it up. We are to be the light in a very, very dark world. Christians, I'm speaking to you. Whatever you do, everything you say, wherever you go, you are to light things up. There is something wrong if when you show up, things go dark and dim. We should light it up. Because we never know when the rapture is going to take place. You know, historically, this instantaneous return of Jesus Christ has done a couple things for Christians. One, it has given Christians a deep desire to live a pure life. You know, I'm talking about holiness. I'm talking about a God-honoring life. Not legalistic, but a God-honoring life. Purity is a gift from God. It's through the Holy Spirit that, that we get that, that purity. We are called to live a pure life because we are a reflection of God. We're a reflection of God's love and God's peace and grace. And it should be seen in everything that I do. You know, John 3, 3, it says, And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Take a look at your life. Take, take a look at anything in your life, anything, any activity, any attitude, any conversation that you're involved in right now. Take a look at that and ask yourself, would I be embarrassed if Jesus Christ returned while I was involved in that? I mean, is there anything? Are there movies that you watch that would just be embarrassing? Places you frequent? You know, some deal you're about to close, some conversation that you're having, some relationship that if Christ were to come back, you just want to die inside. Do something about it. We are called to be light in the darkness. And I want to challenge you. You know, cut back the wick. Fill your life with the Holy Spirit, the oil of God's Spirit in your life. Give Him control. Turn your back on whatever the sin is that's taken you out. And light it up. Light it up. The reality is Jesus Christ could return at any moment. I believe that's a powerful motivation to live a life that's pure. I also know that it gives us a conviction to live with urgency in our lives. You know, that's why Faith Fellowship does things so different. That's why our DNA is different than most churches. Is because we have tried to remove every single obstacle that will keep people from coming to church and starting a relationship with God because we have urgency about us for people to come to know Jesus Christ. We don't want anybody left behind and we're going to do whatever we need to do to make that happen, whether that be corporately or individually. We understand we rub shoulders every day. You rub shoulders every day with people that are doing life in the solo. They're doing life without God. And we should absolutely get involved in strategic conversations when God gives us the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. 
not in a weird way, not freaky, to just add a personal love and care to help people know Jesus Christ personally. You see, we're to, to dress up. We are to light up. And if we light up their world, they'll light up the people in their world. Jesus said, dress up, light up. And he adds one more thing. Jesus tells us to wait up. You know, it picks up and says, be like the servant who are what? Waiting for the master to come home from the wedding party. They're waiting. They're watching. Again, back to the servant. They're ready. They're cutting back the wicks. They're, they're keeping the house lit up. And they're also waiting for the master's return. They're standing by the door waiting. The owner of the homes at the wedding, again, could be gone a whole week. But they're ready. They're serving. They're, they're at point, so to speak. When the master walks in, the house is clean. It's spotless. That meant the servants had to put aside their own desires, their own agendas, because they were serving the master. And when the master arrived, he does something really countercultural. Jesus said the master rolls up his sleeves. He tells the servants to all sit down at the table. And he serves them. Now it's what Jesus was trying to get us to see the bigger picture. You know, Jesus is pushing past his own death on the cross, his own burial, his own resurrection. He's pushing past the ascension to the second coming. And he says, you know what? One day we will all come face to face. And Jesus says, on that day when you come face to face with me, I'm going to sit you down at my table. And I'm going to dine with you. And we're going to spend the rest of eternity in the promised land together. You know, this place beyond description, a place reserved for those that have given their life to Jesus Christ. Jesus throws out this kind of paradoxical point. uh, And Jesus was always doing this. I think it was for the shock value to get, get people's attention. He says, remember this, if the owner of the house knew what time a thief was coming, he would not allow the thief to enter his house. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at a time when you, what? Don't expect him. He says, a thief wouldn't go to the homeowner, knock on the door, go, hey, wanted to give you a little heads up. I'm going to break in your house tomorrow, about midnight. Now, you better be waiting for me because if you're not, you're going to take everything you have. He says, thief's not going to do that. Thief's going to come when you least expect him. You never know when that thief's going to strike. Jesus says, that's the way I'm returning. That's how I'm going to come back. That's when I'm going to rapture my people. That's kind of funny. I have watched over most of my life. And every generation, there's a group of people that that claim to know when Jesus Christ is going to come back. They get the date locked in. They start publicizing it. If anyone says they know when, 
They don't. Jesus says no one knows that. Only God knows that. You know, it's interesting. You remember when uh, we went into the new millennium, 2000? Oh, man, everybody, he's coming. He's coming back. 2000 came, and it's about over, and they go, it was 2001. We were off on our prediction. Every time a a war breaks out or something shifts in the Middle East, you get new dates. You know, I hear a lot of people speculate it's going to be 2010. Others saying, no, 2012. 2020 is real popular right now. Hear this. No one knows. Jesus says over and over, nobody knows. The New Testament says over and over, nobody knows. And the question is not when. That is not the most important question. It's one you'll never be able to answer. The most important question is, are you ready? Are you ready for what's going to happen? Are you ready for that moment? You know, if you know Jesus Christ personally, if you have accepted him as your Savior, if you have an urgency about you, you know, if you're striving for purity in in your life, if you have a readiness about you, if you are a light in this world for Jesus Christ, that's really good. Because it means you're ready for the rapture. Friends, Jesus Christ is coming back. It could be in the next minute. could be in the next hour. It could be in the next week. It could be next month. It could be next year. Or we may live our entire life and die and go be with Christ. And it will happen in the next generation or the next millennium. I don't know. But the question that you have to answer is, are you ready? Because someday, someday soon, we are going to the promised land. Are you ready for that? 